August 25th at 6.30 p.m., same place to pursue the presence of God together and other churches as well. God bless you. See you there. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm really glad to be with you, whether you're joining us online here or uh, in the sanctuary. Um, I'm excited to, to launch into a new study. We're going to be looking at the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, and so uh, my job today is to introduce you to, uh, to this wonderful book and, and to this leader. So uh, let's, uh, let's get started. Um, culturally, I think we are in what I would call a, a cultural puzzle or a cultural conundrum. Um, and, and, it's, and it goes this way. I think we as a people, right, living in our cultural context, as a people, we don't like authority. Um, we don't care much for authority, but at the same time, we are absolutely desperate for good leaders, right? So you can see the conundrum. We don't like authority, uh, but we need good leadership, and, and our culture needs good leaders, and I think if we're honest, the reason we don't like authority is because we love autonomy. We love doing what we want when we want to do it. We love living life without boundaries. Um, we don't like to have limits. We, like, we don't like to have a limit of resources. So we like to live in a way that feels limitless and we have wrongfully called that freedom. But it's into this culture, into this context, uh, that we're going to study this book of 1 Timothy. Uh, and in studying it, we're going to see the formation of a leader. Uh, we're going to see the establishment of Timothy's authority. We're going to see Timothy bringing boundaries um, into a particular church context. And I think this book is written with a cultural or, or church cultural assumption that maybe doesn't exist today. And this is the assumption that I think this book is predicated on or begins on. Um, and it's this, uh, that, that God's leadership is beautiful. That God's leadership is good. That, that leadership is actually designed to create safety and, uh, and, and draw out the, the beauty of a life. And I think in our cultural context, we don't think in those terms. Uh, I think we often think in, in the exact opposite, that, that leadership is oppressive uh, and leadership brings restriction. Uh, and so I think, I think we're going to be challenged as we read through this book because very clearly, Paul is a man who's been sent by God. Uh, Paul is a man who's sent by God with a message of hope that he's going around the world and he's sharing. And then Paul is establishing under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, other leaders in the churches that he's planting. And so I think there's this assumption that as, the, as Timothy receives this, and as the other people listen in to this letter that Timothy receives, this assumption is God's leadership is good. Authority is life-giving. And I don't think that's an assumption that we can make within our cultural context. So uh, I want to warn you, be, be aware of that in you. As we study through this, like, like check that, that there might be something inside of you that says, simply because it comes against me, simply because it brings some boundaries, I don't like it. Well, that doesn't mean that that's bad. <laughs> Maybe that's exactly what you need. Maybe you're not functioning in a way that's healthy. 
And so leadership is going to address that. So as we get into this book, I want us to be aware of uh, what might be an assumption that Paul has uh, that maybe we don't, and that is that leadership is life-giving, that leadership is good, and that authority is positive. So when you think of leadership, what comes to your mind? When you think of a great leader, who comes to your mind? Right? Who, who do you think of? Like, do you think of uh, Alexander Hamilton? Do you think of Martin Luther King Jr.? Do you think of Martin Luther? Do you think of Winston Churchill? Do you think of Harriet Tubman, Joan of Arc, Michael Jordan? Like, who comes to your mind when you think that's, that's a leader? And, and maybe more importantly than who comes to your mind, like, why do they come to your mind? Like, what, 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 why do you think of that? Why do you think of that person? Do they have a certain... Uh, vision for the future that you found compelling? Do, did, did they have integrity? Did they have character? Uh, did they fight against a, a certain oppression um, that they were born in a unique period of, of human history? And so they maybe had a unique skill set that they brought into that particular period of time. Maybe they lived to serve other people. Maybe they changed the course of history. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of a leader, um, but uh, but why do they come to your mind? I had um, I was preaching at Malia Camp a couple of weeks ago, and I was stunned to see my little league baseball coach or one of my little league baseball coaches there. And so I got to talk with him and catch up, and I hadn't seen him for you know twenty plus years, and so it was wonderful to to do that. But I got I was talking to my dad about him, uh, and we were just talking about what a fantastic leader and coach uh, he was. Um, you know, he would, you know, at that point in time, you would take people, uh, you would pick your team, and you would get guys that uh, maybe had never played baseball and guys that were really strong in the, in the sport. And he was able to take and coach whatever, on whatever spectrum, where they were on the spectrum, and make them better and train them and develop them. And I just remember thinking, man, he was, a, he was an excellent coach and an excellent leader because he knew the game, had the ability to teach the game, but also had the ability to motivate, also had the, had the ability to address wherever your point of weakness was to make you a better uh, baseball player. So, so leadership <clears throat> is very significant. Leadership is unavoidable um, in our lives. Uh, and, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but you are all leaders. You all have some sort of leadership responsibility in your world. Um, I don't know if you realize that. So then if that's the case, the big question is then what kind of leader are you? You might be thinking, but Greg, I'm not. I'm not a leader. Don't confuse, uh, don't confuse a position and a title, right, with action and influence. Like you are a leader because there is someone that you influence. You either do it in a way that's positive or you do it in a way that's negative or some kind of both, right? But you, no matter what age you are, there is someone you influence. And if there's someone you influence, then there is someone that you are leading, right? So, so the question then is what kind of leader are you? I love this quote by Nelson Mandela. It gives a little insight into the kind of leader that he was, or the way he understood leadership. He said, a leader is like a shepherd, stays behind the flock, letting the most nimble go out ahead, whereupon the others follow, not realizing that all along they are being directed from behind. 
right? What a profound picture of leadership that Nelson Mandela is, is describing. So as we begin, right, as we begin, I want you to think of, okay, who are those people? Where are those places where I lead? Like have that in your mind as we move through this morning's teaching. Uh, because I want you to realize that God has called you to a specific leadership role, to a specific leadership responsibility. And so you need to be aware of that um, and be thinking about that, whether it's with, uh, you're, you're a leader in a corporation or a leader with your cousins. If you're a big brother or a grieving widow, you all, you all have positions of being led as well as leading. Um, and so today, leadership has a very unique set uh, of challenges in our cultural context. So I wanna introduce you to this young leader, Timothy. This is the beginning of Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, and it starts out with Paul, an apostle, typical greeting from Paul, of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and of Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, what was happening is uh, Paul anticipated um, arriving in Ephesus, uh, but he was going to be delayed. He anticipated being delayed, so he's like, I need to send Timothy ahead of me uh, to Ephesus. And so what he does is not only send Timothy, but he also sends Timothy and he sends this letter uh, so that people would know Paul has sent Timothy to be a leader uh, in this church. And you get this sense throughout the book as we study it, you'll see this, you get this sense that Paul's looking beyond Timothy um, and looking at the church as a whole in this letter. So it's not just a private letter, um, and you've done this, I'm sure, uh, maybe as a parent, where maybe you're speaking to a person here, but you're hoping everybody's listening in on the conversation. I think that's what Paul's doing is he's writing to Timothy. It's a letter to Timothy, but everybody's listening in. Um, and so he's gonna identify what are some of the things that the church is facing? What are the problems? Who are the problem people that need to be addressed? Kevin, I know I looked at you when I said problem people. That wasn't intentional. I just, my eye went and, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, so, so he's gonna say, hey, you need to address these problem people. He's affirming Timothy's strengths um, and calling him to action, but he's doing that in a way that you know, people can listen in. Um, and I think one clear hint that this is a letter that's not just to Timothy is at the very end in uh, chapter six, verse 21, Paul says, grace be with you. Um, and he says, plural, like grace be with, well, we're in South Jersey. Grace be with you guys, right? That's what he's, that's what he's saying. So it's not just a singular, it's a, it's a plural. Um, and so over this letter, uh, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, um, over time, this letter became uh, what's known as um, the pastoral epistles. Uh, so this, as well as 2 Timothy and Titus, are part of the pastoral epistles. Paul wrote 13 letters, um, which make up the 27 books of our New Testament, 13 of them written by Paul, and their letters. Three of those letters are specific to pastors of local churches. So that's first, second Timothy and Titus. And so they're addressing not just the pastor, but also pastoral issues. So they become the pastoral epistles. And so we're gonna take the next 14 weeks or so uh, to study this book of first Timothy. And I think it's a timely book for us. 
And the reason I think it's a timely book for us is because the things that Paul is addressing through Timothy in the church at Ephesus are things that I think we need to grow in as well. For example, the book of Timothy is going to look at the development of Timothy as a leader and the cultivation of new leaders in the church, right? So that's something that we need to grow in as a church as well. And these leaders are to be spiritual parents that are forming kingdom-minded communities. So they do that in Ephesus, we have to do that in South Jersey. Um, and those kingdom-minded communities needed to function according to God's design for his household. So we also need that kind of instruction for how do we live together functioning in God's design. And those, those communities also needed to know God's authority structure and know God's eternal truth. And so those are things that we also need to grow in. Um, so in our cultural context, Right, we're specifically now we're coming out of a time of, uh, and still there's restrictions, but we're coming out of the shelter in place and dealing with racial divisions in our culture, and uh, there's an incredible loss of trust with uh, with authority structure. I think the book of First Timothy is going to be a great place for us to learn as a church family the timeless truths that'll inform how do we live as a household, a church family in this era. Right? This is the time of application of this truth, and so we have to work that out. So today, my goal is really to introduce to you Timothy. Um, and so there's a number of different Timothys that you may know. We don't know what Timothy actually looked like, so he may have looked like one of these other Timothys. You got Tim Keller up there. You got Tim Hawkins, uh, Tim Duncan. Uh, those of you who follow the U.S. national team, the men's team, you have Timothy Weah, uh, who's an emerging player on the team, or you have those pictures of uh, first century Timothy, which again, we don't know. They kind of look like trader cards, like maybe on the back, it has his weight, his height, his preferred position in the church. Um, but those are Timothy's, uh, Timothy's player cards. Uh, so today, what we wanna do is we wanna get to know Timothy. We wanna get to know what he was like. And the way that I wanna get to know Timothy and get to know the book of First Timothy um, is that we are going to be looking at uh, six leadership development themes that emerge from the life of Timothy. All right, so we're gonna look at six leadership development themes that emerge from Timothy's, uh, that emerge from Timothy's life. Um, so let me pray, and then we will jump into those, uh, those themes. Father, thank you. I wanna thank you for Timothy. I thank you for the opportunity, God, to, uh, to learn leadership. And I pray that since we are all leaders, I pray we would get familiar with this first century leader named Timothy. He's kind of like the third generation being developed in church leadership. You had the original disciples and then we had uh, the apostle Paul and now Paul's apprentice Timothy is, is emerging as a leader. And so I pray Jesus that as we emerge as leaders today, we would grow up in our faith. So teach us this morning, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. So the first thing we learn about leadership, uh, the first thing that we learn about leadership is a leader needs to be grounded theologically. Uh, a, need, a leader needs to be grounded um, theologically. Um, Eric, I'm gonna ask if you would go grab my computer. I changed my settings here and I'm like at 2% on battery. So if you could grab my computer from my office, yeah. In case this one dies, we can easily switch to that one. Um, or I have to go really fast. 
Um, all right, so leadership requires that you're grounded theologically. The book of Timothy is going to address some major issues. Um, it's dealing with false teachers that have infiltrated the church. It's going to deal with the character of God's household, like I said before. What does the church family look like? It's going to talk about church polity, church organization. Um, what is church leadership? How does, it, how does it work together? What qualifies you as a leader in the church? Um, what are the characteristics uh, of a leader? It's going to talk about women and, and their role in leadership in the church context. Right, so it has lots of details that it has to work through, but one of the incredible parts of this is even though it's dealing with lots of, you know, what might be like the nuts and bolts of, of how a church is put together, it has these very deep and profound theological anchors throughout the entire letter. Um, and so I want to show you a couple of those. So the first one we come across is in chapter 1, and in chapter 1, Paul is affirming Timothy's calling, uh, affirming his call as a leader, and then as a leader, his ability then um, to address false teachers. Um, and so he's, uh, he's doing that with Timothy. Um, and so in doing that, uh, I want to show you this verse uh, here in verse Timothy. Thank you, Eric. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 17. It says, this saying is trustworthy uh, and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Right, so this is like at the foundation of Timothy's calling, Right at the foundation of his calling, Paul is saying, listen, you gotta, you gotta know there's some things that you can trust with full acceptance that Jesus came to rescue and to demonstrate his incredible mercy. So listen, I'm the apostle Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, yet I'm in this leadership role. Timothy, you got this. And glory, that, that, that it's not about you. The glory is gonna go to the king of ages, immortal, invisible God. I mean, that's a great pregame talk. Right now, Timothy, you're going to have to address, you know, the idolatry in the church. You're going to have, have to address um, the, um, the, the false teachers uh, in the church. And so uh, Timothy is then charged to do this, and that's the first theological anchor. Uh, let me get myself situated here with these notes. Sorry about the distraction. Um, there we go. All right. I can put this one to rest. All right, so, um, so then the second anchor, the second anchor is when Paul is uh, instructing Timothy to pray for uh, the, his, the government that's over him, right? And, if, and, it, and the government that is over Timothy is what? What is the, who's, the, who's kind of the, the big world power right now in Timothy's day? Rome, right. So how did Rome treat Christians? Right? Like that, that was a rough time to be a Christian, uh, you know, as Roman persecution was, was breaking out in pockets and then was going to get really big, right? And he's saying, I want you to pray for the, the civil leadership that's over you. And then he gives him this anchor. 
And he says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator uh, between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Right, so he's telling Timothy, listen, I want you to pray for your leadership. God has a heart for people. This is anchored in the nature of the gospel itself. And then in the next chapter, he's teaching on church leadership. And it's gonna get detailed of the character of and, and who's leading what. And, he, and in the middle of that, he says, beyond all question, the mystery from which his true godliness springs is great. And then he gives this, he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed in the world and was taken up to glory. Whatever Paul was asking Timothy to do, he would anchor it in this theological backbone of who God is, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has accomplished, right? He never got far from the gospel. Then let me give you one more. This is at the end of the book in chapter six. Um, Paul is confronting these false teachers with their greed and, 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 and how they would leverage their wealth for um, negative purposes, and he's calling them to use their wealth to, to serve the kingdom of God. And so what does he do? He anchors it theologically once again. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made a good confession— I charge you to keep the command without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. So he's dealing with very specific things. And in dealing with very specific things, he gets his vision out of that and into the glory of who God is. So in your leadership, you must be rooted theologically, right? As soon as we start to drift from the gospel, here's what happens. When we start to drift from the gospel, we still have to influence, we still have to lead. So if we're not leaned into, tapped into, rooted in the gospel, having our eyes filled with the glory of God, and we still have to bring influence, we lean on our own strength. And then people become objects. People become either obstacles that we have to overcome in order to bring the influence we think is needed, or they become tools to accomplish what we want. But that's what happens when we're not rooted theologically in what God has called us to, oh, I'm sorry, not theologically in what God has done on our behalf. And I've watched this happen so many times. I've watched it in the negative and I've watched it in the positive. I've watched somebody dealing with a conflict that they could not get past, they could not get past, and it would go on for years until one day they were attentive to the gospel that offered them free grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And so instead of going into that conflict saying, you did this, you did this, you did this, they went into the conflict and said, I need to own my sin against you. And I gotta tell you, in this particular conflict, their sin was like this, the other person's sin was like this. Yet they said, I, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. I, I, I was rude, I was unkind, and their heart was broken. And they, they brought into that situation incredible grace and forgiveness. And then what had been a conflict for years was gone. 
because they stayed close, they stayed close to who God is, to what Jesus has done. All right, second thing we learn about leadership in Timothy's story is leadership requires attention to your faith history. Uh, Angelo brought this up last week. He did it again this week in the video, right, of being attentive to our faith history. What has God been doing, not just in this moment, but what has God said previously? Honestly, the most important thing that has happened to me in my life happened over 2,000 years ago, right? So I need to be attentive to my faith history. I need to be attentive to what has God told me in the past? What has God called me to do? Because when I get into the fog of difficult situations, like I need to know with what are the points of clarity? So before it got foggy, what did I know ahead of time? And those are going to be the things from my faith story, my faith history. Um, so he does this with Paul. Uh, Paul does this with Timothy numerous times because Timothy had a really good foundation. Uh, I listed some of the verses up there for you to be able to look them up uh, on your own. But what we know is he had a good family heritage. Um, he had biblical training, which was his from his youth. Uh, he was given a strong commendation as a young man, so he had a growing reputation in his local church. He's described as a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, uh, even though his father was Greek, um, and he was well spoken of. Uh, and Timothy's mother's name was Eunice, and his grandmother, um, yeah, Eunice and his grandmother Lois, uh, and they both had a very sincere faith. And so from childhood, Timothy learned uh, from his grandmother. Look at this verse in 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. This is a, that painting is by Rembrandt. It's very famous that, that Timothy was trained uh, in scriptures from a very early age. So continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and from as a child, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is reminding Timothy of what he learned as a little child. I would imagine he has to remind him of that because things are a little hard right now, right? Things are difficult. So he needed to be reminded of what he had learned previously as a child. So when Paul needed to encourage Timothy, he anchored him back into his faith journey. I think this is so important for us in leadership. Like why would, why would Timothy need to be reminded of that? Because things got hard, things got challenging. And that's what we have to do in times of trouble. We need to remember our history with God. We need to remember what has God done previously. And maybe we don't have like Timothy, a legacy of faith that goes all the way back to our childhood. But I can tell you, your God has been faithful to you all the way back through your childhood. God has been providing for you. And so you can look back and say, oh, God has sustained me. God has led me. God has helped me. So when you're in the middle of a moment where it's fuzzy and confusing and you can't see the leadership of God, you can trust that God, has, God is leading you. Why? Because that's what he's always done. And so you can look back at your faith journey. And so we need, and here's the thing, we need to be attentive to our faith journey so that we have that deposit so that when the tough times come, we can look back and see God's faithfulness. Sadly, we ignore the faithfulness of God so that when tough times come, we don't have that deposit in us to say, oh yeah, I saw God do this, 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 and this, and now I'm ready to face this. 
right? That's how David uh, stared down the, the, the giant Goliath, right? Because he knew the faithfulness of God when he was just a shepherd all alone in the wilderness. Third thing we learn about leadership from Timothy is leadership requires that you deal with lies. Leadership requires that you are proactive, you deal with opposition. Um, Timothy has to stand and oppose false teachers. Now, what's interesting here is Paul does not give a lot of details about the false teachers that are there. We only get like one side of the conversation. So it's like Timothy is on the phone with Paul, and we can't hear what Timothy's saying. Like, hey, Paul, they're teaching this, 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 and this. We can only hear Paul's instructions to Timothy, right? So from Paul's instructions, uh, we get an idea of what these false teachers are doing. These false teachers, they're preoccupied with myths and genealogies. Like they're caught up in, in these myths and genealogies, and they have this overemphasis on Jewish tradition and Jewish law. Um, they, are, uh, they are interested in like the new knowledge and finding like secret information. Um, so they're not attentive to what is the foundational truth. They just want something new that's intriguing, that's interesting. Uh, they have a tendency out of that towards controversy and to argument and speculation. They're also deceptive uh, in, their, in their leadership, these false teachers. Uh, and also um, they desire to get material gain through their teaching uh, that's why, that's their motivation. Their motivation isn't to teach God's word. It's so that they can get rich from doing it. Um, and then there's also some weird kind of harsh asceticism, which is like uh, self-denial. So they're saying you can't uh, eat meat. You, you shouldn't be getting married. And, and by the way, the resurrection has already happened and Jesus has already returned. So they had these odd teachings that they were bringing and it required Timothy to oppose it. And I think this is so important for us to get because there are all sorts of odd teachings, odd belief systems that we accumulate over years and then they just are our operating assumption. But the reality is we didn't get them from the word of God. The reality is we got them from maybe our family of origin or maybe a, a church tradition that was faulty or maybe we just bought into some things of our culture that just seem like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be, and it's not. And so what Paul does for Timothy, which I think is incredible, is he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, right, how is Timothy going to deal with all these different false teachers, false doctrines? Does he have to be educated in everything about them? No, what he has to do, according to 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So what does Paul tell Timothy to do in light of all the false teachers? He says, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to what you believe, Timothy. Pay attention to your operating assumptions. Pay attention to why you do the things that you do. And I, and I think this is huge for Timothy in addressing false teachers is to know the sure foundation of his own beliefs. I think this is really important for us to do, is not just be wary of the false teachers out there or the false teachers trying to bring influence into our church. I think the best way we do that is to be aware of the faulty foundations of our own beliefs and keep asking the question, is this founded in the word of God? Is this consistent with the character of King Jesus? 
Is this the way Jesus loved? We keep asking those questions to assess our own heart, and it puts us in a great position then to assess and to oppose um, the lies within our culture. I think so often we miss that. I think so often we could be obsessed with addressing the lies of our culture, and then we miss the lies that we've swallowed. It's kind of like that whole plank speck, you know, dust game that Jesus was talking about. We see the log in somebody else's eye, the plank in somebody else's eye. Um, I'm sorry, we see the dust in their eye, and we miss the big plank uh, that's in our own, right? And so I think we do that. We look at the false teaching in our culture, and then we rail against that, and we miss that we're not consistent. We're not watching ourselves and then keeping uh, clear on the teaching. So I think that's the call for Timothy. I think that's a great word for us is yes, we have to step in. Yes, we have to engage uh, with lies in the culture around us. Even in our own church, we have to address that. But first, pay attention to ourselves and the lies that we're wrestling with believing. All right, the fourth thing. Fourth thing we learn about leadership uh, through Timothy's life is that leadership starts at home. Leadership starts at home. The structure of the book is that it begins and ends with an affirmation of Timothy's calling, what Timothy's called to do. Um, And then the middle four chapters are more the details of how we're supposed to live as a church family. Uh, And the paradigm that Paul has for the church is the paradigm of the home. So look at what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to believe, uh, behave in what? The household of God. So the, the picture that, Tim, uh, that Paul paints of what is the church organized like, it's organized like a household, right? So if we are going to emerge in leadership at the church, then we have to understand, well, what does leadership look like in the home? If we're gonna be healthy as a church family, then we've gotta know what does it look like to be healthy as a family. So leadership starts at home. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 5 says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? What a fantastic question. If the paradigm for church family is the individual household and you can't lead in the context of your household, then how would you be fit to lead in God's household? Right, so leadership starts at home. And I think this is very consistent with the teaching of Jesus, right? Jesus would say things like, a good tree bears good fruit, right? Uh, you know, so Jesus would look at the issues of the heart and want the heart issues to be on display in a life. In Luke 1, 17, I love this, uh, in talking about the, the prophetic work of, of John the Baptist, it says, he will go before him, meaning he'll go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, right? So the picture of repentance, of getting things right with God, meant that the father's hearts would be turned to their children, Kelvin talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he was with us, where he talked about um, getting right with God, being justified with God means then we work on being justified with others. We receive this reconciliation, now we live out this reconciliation. And so what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is when that happens, who should be influenced first? 
Who should receive the blessing of your relationship with God first? It needs to be in you and then out of you. And then those closest to you, your household should receive the gift of that first. And I think we struggle with this one. You know why I think we struggle with this one? Because we can't fake it in that realm. Right? I mean, we, the people that look at you, the people that have expectations, the people that, um, like, they, they need you in their life, like, th- there's high expectations there. We can't fake it there for very long. Now, maybe on our Facebook profile, or maybe when we're at work, you know, for 40, 50 hours in a work context where people need you just to do your job, and then you're nice to them, that's just an added bonus, and they think you're awesome and a hero, You're like, why do I get such respect there, but I don't get that here? Well, it could be because, like, they have very little expectations of you there. Like, they're not looking for you to to know their heart, to love them, to lead them. They're looking for you to just do whatever your job is. Right, so what Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, this all starts with integrity, and it starts with leadership at home. So we gotta go there first, Now, I think this is an important next one to bring up after I just touched on leadership at home, which I would imagine for all of us, there should be a, ouch, right? Because you and I aren't perfect. And the people that are closest to us know it. And they are the recipients of the pain of our failure time and time again. So that's why we need this second one or this fifth one. Leadership does not require perfection. Leadership does not require perfection. All right, I need to pick up the pace here. So in regards to, um, uh, in regards to temperament, uh, what we find out about Timothy is that he is a timid guy. Timothy is not a bold leader. Um, and so Paul has to continually remind Timothy. He, uh, Paul has to keep encouraging him. So he's like, Timothy, you know, don't give in to a spirit of timidity. Timothy, don't, don't be ashamed. You need to be strong. Timothy, don't let people look down on your youthfulness. Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift. You got to hang on to that, buddy. Don't let that go. Pay a close attention to your teaching. Like you got you to gotta be aware. So Timothy, this young leader, is timid. Um, and so Paul, and now to be fair, Timothy's got a hard job. Right? I mean, he's got to go, he's got to lead in this church that's not his home church, and he's young, and so he's got to address all these issues at Ephesus. But it seems like um, there seems like there's a little bit more of a struggle for Timothy um, than is just the challenge of his job. Uh, we also find out uh, that Timothy, um, you know, uh, when Timothy went to Corinth, Paul's like, hey, go easy on him. Like, it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's challenging for him, go easy on Timothy. Um, or two years later, he's like, Timothy, you got to flee youthful desires. Um, and so then also we find out that Timothy in, uh, we find this out in 1 Timothy, uh, that uh, Timothy had some stomach issues. Uh, he had some, uh, some, some uh, problems uh, with his stomach. Um, and so Paul's like, hey, take some, you know, drink some medicinal alcohol to address your stomach issues. Uh, that'll help you feel a little bit better. So he had these frequent uh, illnesses that he had to deal with. So leadership does not require perfection. Timothy was not a perfect leader, but it didn't disqualify him from leading in God's church, right? God, God had Timothy in that place as a leader. 
And so I think that should encourage us that it is not because of our perfection that God invites us to our leadership, um, but 2 Timothy 2.1 is pretty incredible. It says, you then, my son, talking to Timothy, be strong, not in his competence. It says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The hope for Timothy in Timothy's stumbling leadership is grace. Right, like we get into this whole relationship with God based on grace. Everything he calls us to is based on grace. It never switches gears and becomes about our perfection, right? We are only and forever in need of the grace of God. We're gonna come back to that uh, when we take communion in a couple of minutes. Now, here's a big one. This is the last one, and it's this, that leadership requires development, Leadership requires development. Um, Timothy is considered uh, the bishop of Ephesus in church history. And at, uh, he dies, uh, they think it's 97 AD. He's 80 years old um, and he's opposing the false teachers and this parade to Diana that they're worshiping. Um, And so he's standing in opposition to that and these people get mad at his opposition and they beat him and they stone him to death. So he dies like opposing, right? It's just this you know, profound martyrdom of, of Timothy. We find out that Timothy co-authors um, you know, the uh, first, second Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, and Philemon, right? So in all of those, Timothy is part of that. But Timothy didn't start out as this great grand leader. Timothy started out as a young man being faithful in his home church context. He lived in Lystra um, and he grew up there. And so when Paul came on his first missionary journey, Paul does a miracle there um, and uh, the the church is birthed. And so then uh, Timothy's um, grandmothers, uh, his grandmother and his mom became converts to Christianity. Then he grew up under their teaching. So then by the time Paul comes back on the second missionary journey, uh, Timothy is ready to go with him. And Timothy has this good reputation. So Paul's like, hey, I want this guy to come with me. I've heard so much about him. Well, what has he heard? He's heard simply that he's faithful. And so Paul takes him on uh, as an apprentice. And so he takes Timothy on, and which you think, wow, what a beautiful, now the trajectory towards, you know, the bishop of Ephesus, you know, we get to see it. But the first thing that Timothy faces is an obstacle, And why does God bring obstacles in our way? He brings obstacles in our way to train us. And so Timothy gets trained through this obstacle. First obstacle he had to face was the fact that Paul's strategy was to go into synagogues to preach to the Jews the good news of Jesus. Well, Timothy um, was well known, and he also was known to be the son of a, a Greek or a Gentile man. So they knew Timothy wouldn't be circumcised. So he needed to be circumcised in order to go into the synagogues to share the gospel. So the first thing he has to do when he says yes to to following in this apostolic ministry, he's got to go get circumcised. But why does he do that? It's not because he's confused thinking his circumcision will save him. But as a man, he realized, I cannot share the good news of Jesus because they're not even going to give me a chance to speak unless I'm willing to be circumcised. So for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of sharing his faith, he was willing to be circumcised. And I think that's so important for us to, like, to see the commitment that Timothy had 
to give himself a platform for gospel proclamation. And sometimes we're intimidated because we think you know, people might be offended by us sharing our faith story. Timothy was willing to go through circumcision as an adult in order to have the honor and privilege of sharing his faith story. I want, you, I want to show you this, too, about Timothy's development. And development often happens through adversity. Um, but this is what, um, what we see in this progression through the book of Acts. Acts 11.30, Acts 12.25, we see Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then in chapter 13, Saul's name is changed to Paul, and we hear about Paul and Barnabas. And so for the rest of the way, it's always now Paul and Barnabas. Why is that? Because the apprentice had become the teacher, right? So Paul had been trained, and the same thing happens with Timothy. It was first Silas and Timothy, Silas and Timothy, and then Timothy and Erastus. So I think this is a good indication that Timothy had been, you know, he started in just be faithful in little things, just be faithful in little things. You're gonna go with Silas and help out. You're gonna go with Silas and help out. To the point where he did that, was faithful in it, was developed in it to the point where now, hey, Erastus, you're gonna go with Timothy and help Timothy out because Timothy now is a trusted leader. And then out of this, you get to the point where Timothy is sent to Ephesus, um, to be the pastor and to deal with a number of different issues that are going on. But leaders have to be developed. So he was an emerging leader with a great mentor. Uh, and so this is something that we need to know is that leaders, um, they're not just simply born. They, it requires some training. It requires some development. And as Timothy was faithful, his responsibilities then grew to the point where Paul, at the end of his life, is like, I gotta have Timothy with me. That's the guy I want nearby because he leaned on him uh, so much. So often, I think we have this expectation that if we are leaders, then we need to be perfect. And if we are leaders, then we need to have it all figured out. That's not true. Leaders need to be developed. Leaders continually need to be in a posture of growth. We don't have to have it all figured out. And so as you're, as you're in places of influence, recognize you're in that place not just because you have competence, but because you're in, a, you're in a place to learn. And so you should be a learner as you're also a leader. And also, I just wanna emphasize, be faithful in little things. Now, don't aspire just to be at whatever organization you're in. Like maybe you aspire to be at the top of that organization. That's not bad, but you have to earn your way to that. You have to grow in competency. You have to grow along the way. You're going to have some obstacles like Timothy had to overcome in order to be in a place where you are competent or you're able to exercise your leadership, your leadership gifts. So remember that leaders have to be developed. All right. I want to end our time with communion. I could have uh, Josiah uh, come, come on back up um, and Emily come on back up. Uh, and so we're going to end our time with communion. And the, here's, how I want to, here's how I want us to approach communion. If, if you need a moment to go grab your elements at home, uh, those of you who are here in the sanctuary, uh, there are individual communion cups that were set out just for you on the table. You can go ahead and, and grab those. Um, children, look to your parents for leadership on this. Parents, if you haven't prepared your children, I would recommend that you do that in preparation for next, uh, next week or next month when we take communion together. Um, when you get it, there's two different uh, layers. 
Um, you'd, and so you wanna open just the top layer to get um, the, the host first. Um, it'll just be easier that way. So don't open both at the same time, just the very top layer uh, to, to get the host. Um, but here's what I wanna share with you. I wanna, I wanna have your mind on as we take communion. And it comes out of Luke 22. And it's when Jesus, uh, when Jesus brought the first communion, uh, he brought the first communion to them. Uh, and he said that he took the loaf of bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus' body is broken. And why is Jesus' body broken? The body of Christ is broken because the Father broke it. It wasn't Jewish leaders. It wasn't the Italians in Rome. Jesus' body was broken because the Father laid on him our guilt, our shame, our failure, our sin. That's why Jesus' body was broken. So as I bring up six points of leadership and you start to, oh, yep, I failed, yep, I failed, yep, I failed, what I want you to remember at that point, and this is why I think Jesus was so eager to eat this meal with them, is so that he could communicate to them, friends, my body was broken for you. I take the weight of your failure on me. I take the weight of your shame on me. This is my body broken for you. So as we take the, the host, as we take the, the bread, I want you to remember the body of Christ is broken. Why? So that he would carry your shame. He would carry your failure. So this is an opportunity as we consider leadership as we consider how we influence and we recognize our failure in it is to say, Jesus, your body was broken because I'd sinned against the Father and punishment must be meted out so you took that on yourself. So Jesus, I pray that we would honor you by the way that we actively remember your sacrifice. So when you're ready, go ahead and take the Take the host, remembering that his body was broken for you. He took your punishment on himself. And then verse 20 goes on. And Jesus said, this is the cup that is poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. So what happens with the blood of Christ is that it purifies, it cleanses, but that's not all. It doesn't cleanse just so that we get rid of the guilt. It doesn't cleanse just so that we get rid of the, the shame. It cleanses so that we can be filled, so that the spirit of God can dwell with his people, so that we can be one with God. Right? Jesus took our punishment so he could give us the joy of communion with the Father. So here's the exciting thing. 
When we talk about leadership, when we talk about growing in our influence, we talk about these areas that we need to be attentive to of dealing with, with lies, when we talk about um, needing, to, needing to engage, when we talk about um, having to do that in the home, right? When we talk about these things and you feel like, I don't, Greg, I don't know how to do that, or I'm doing it and I keep failing. Listen, the hope that you have for getting it right is that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Why? Because of the new covenant work of Jesus. Right? His body was broken. His blood was shed so you can be reunited with the Father. And reunited with the Father means the Spirit of God dwells in you to empower you for life and godliness. So you have what you need inside of you, which is the presence of God. So as you take the cup, I want to encourage you to take it with the expectation of the filling of the Spirit of God. And by what, what I mean by the filling of the Spirit of God is that the Spirit of God would exercise more influence in your life than he currently does. That you would be listening more to him. You would be obeying, you would be empowered by him. That's what the blood of Jesus accomplishes for you. So Jesus, I pray that we would honor you, worship you in the taking of the bread, the taking of the cup, as we actively remember your sacrifice, but not just what your sacrifice was, but how it currently impacts us and enables us to move into new layers, new levels of leadership. So go ahead and take the cup if you haven't already. Just leave the cup on the table. We'll pick it up uh, after. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing this closing song together. I'm looking forward to continuing to study with you through this book of 1 Timothy as we get to know the leader Timothy and God's design for his church family in this new era. And as we all, from whatever place we're at now, continue to grow as leaders. Sing this together.